is Leviticus an outdated book that we can just skip over? Or is it something worth paying attention to? What are we doing here? <laughs> hey, Jeremy, that's a great question. So uh, you and I both like the Bible, and uh, you and I both like beer. Um, so we decided to put them together in uh, something called the Grain Offering, and yeah, just do you know a, a book of the Bible for every episode, um, and really do a deep dive into it, what it says, who wrote it, what it means, what we think it means, you know, all that good stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's that's what we're doing. We we like beer, we like the Bible, and What's funny is, is that this particular episode, uh, we're going to be covering the, the book of Leviticus, and that's actually where the name of the show comes from, um, because in Leviticus, you have a couple of different passages that talk about the, the grain offering and how to present it to the God and, and you know, all that sort of stuff. So uh, that's in today's episode. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. Well, I'm going to hit you with the hardest theological question to date. So okay. Okay. I think hopefully I'm ready. ready for it. I think I'm ready. Um, what what beer are you drinking today? Mm, that, mm, I don't know if I had had quite uh, figured that out yet before I graduated seminary. So I'm gonna I'm just kidding. Um, so uh, today I have chosen a Saint Bern, Bernardus Triple, Saint Bernardus Triple, and uh, the reason I have right, get a get a bigger close up on the on the face there, if you can see it. That's a jolly looking priest. That's a jolly looking, looking monk. Well, monk, priest. I'd be jolly too if my my job was talking about Jesus and brewing beer. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so the reason I chose this one is uh, it is a Belgian uh, Abbey ale, and uh, it is it was described as I've I've never had it before, but it was described as having this very sweet smelling aroma and kind of a smooth sweet flavor. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that that would pair really really well with Leviticus because one of the main points of Leviticus, which we'll talk about in a little bit, is the idea that if you follow the law, if you abide by the law and um, do all the things that God commands, then life will be sweet for you. Your, your, your sacrifice will issue a sweet aroma unto the Lord. So, so sweet aroma aroma. pleasing to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, What about you? What beer have you chosen? Another fat tire? Uh, No, not fat tire today. Um, We are drinking a Breckenridge brewery, Fine Colorado Ale, a vanilla porter. Oh, nice. Yeah. I've never had this before. Okay. Um, no clue if it's good. We'll find out. Um, I like vanilla. I like dark beers. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. 
All right. Well, it's that time. So let's uh, let's crack it open and uh, get going into uh, Leviticus. Oh, gosh. I got it. Hold on. I got it. I got to beat you this time. <laughs> All right. Cheers, brother. Oh, clink. clink. There we go. Prost. Man, that ain't no sweet aroma. That's that smells like <laughs> you must be sinning, man. I guess so. I can't be as jolly as the monk on the on the label. Yeah, this however is pretty good. I think it's exactly like what you would expect. So yeah, can't complain there. I mean, this isn't bad. It's just not the sweet aroma I was expecting. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that is thus actually are, thus is our sacrifices to the Lord, right? <laughs> I was going to say like. It, it sounds very much like like Leviticus already. Like, oh, my aroma is not as pleasing to the Lord as I thought, huh? Yeah, useless are your sacrifices and your ritual offerings. Yep. All I want is, what is it, pure uh, pure worship, pure praise? Uh, gosh, I just read this too. It's in, in Hosea. Um, yeah. Uh, I do not require sacrifice, just, just uh, yeah, I'd have to look it up. But I'll, I'll put it in the in the bottom of the... <laughs> Boom, right here. Yeah. All right. So thus saith the Lord. Uh, thus saith the Lord. All right, Jeremy. <laughs> so we've had our beer. We've done the the cheers. We've we started drinking. Um, we've smelled in old responsibly. Beer. Responsibly, of course. Um, so let's dive into kind of the overview of Leviticus and then we'll we'll yeah. get going into the questions. Now, I was telling you a little bit uh pre-show that I don't I don't think that this episode is gonna be as long as some of uh, as Exodus and, and the Genesis episodes episodes were. But, wow, you know, us, we, we start talking, <laughs> and all of a sudden it's an hour and a half later. So uh, we, I would, I, I would say this is that it definitely could be, yeah. Um, Leviticus reads very, very differently, and I don't want to hijack any of your prep here, but Leviticus wow. reads very differently than some of the other um, books of the Pentateuch. Mm-hmm. Um, We'll get into this, I'm sure, but you know, the the authorship, um, it, it's written for a specific audience, and that audience is priests who are highly technical, highly, uh, you know, educated in their craft and their practice. Um, so, Book of Leviticus is really good about telling you how to do things, but not necessarily as great at the why. Yeah, totally, totally. So it could it could go quick. Mm-hmm. Um, but the deeper you dive with Leviticus, the more you're going to realize that it's a deep book. Right. And I think that that's a perfect uh, point because, uh, one of the college guys that I've been uh, discipling through this past year, um, I gave him the choice of any book of the Bible to study. And I said like, you know, you choose it, we'll study it together. And he chose Leviticus. Um, and one of the things that he is, is yeah, like that one, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All the books in the Bible. <laughs> so, so it, it makes me think of, um, um, uh, Arrested Development when, uh, Michael Sarah's character, uh, is, is dating Anne mm-hmm. and, and, uh, uh, his dad's just like her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but he, what he's beginning to, to kind of see in the book of Leviticus is, um, that, there's so much more um, to say than just, you know, these, these strict Levitical laws. There's, there's so mm-hmm. much more there than just kind of this dry legalistic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So 
Um, I mean, and to, to whet the viewer's appetite for that kind of thing. Um, you know, people love, you know, love talking about Jesus, you know, that one dude in the Bible. They love talking about him and how he says, you know, love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, that is from Leviticus. He's yeah. not making that up. He's not pulling that out of thin air. Right. Um, he's quoting an outdated book. So, yeah. And that's, that's such a good point too. Cause like, I think that uh, there, when people have poor theology and, and what I mean by that is that it's, it's not very nuanced when it's very kind of black and white, when it's kind of very surfacey, that, that sort of thing. So when I say bad theology, sure. I mean, uh, someone or some people who have not put a lot of work into like digging deeper. Um, yeah. Yeah. Bad theology, like, you know, do good and you'll be blessed and do bad and you'll be cursed. Yeah. Uh, name it and claim it. Uh, you know, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and free, like all that. Yeah. Sort of yeah. Thing. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I, I don't, uh, not, not even going to touch that one today. <laughs> that was um an intentional intentional joke on leviticus's part you can't get to you can't get to proverbs and ecclesiastes or you can't get to ecclesiastes wisdom without proverbs wisdom right right um and same thing you can't get to well i mean we'll maybe get here but you can't get to grace without um levitical law right um and that's that's what maybe I, was, I don't know. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. When when you have bad theology um, or poor theology, uh, what it can become is it's like, oh well, Jesus like summarized the law, so all we have to do is follow what Jesus says, like love God, love your mm-hmm. neighbor. Like, okay, but Jesus's role was also to fulfill the law, to bring it to it, its completion. So right to right. to just focus on what Jesus has to say is is, is important, but to you have to understand where it comes from and where it originates because then you can understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish law as laid down right. in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So I, I think right. that, um, we, we need to have a very nuanced understanding of the law because we need to know exactly to what extent Jesus fulfills it later on. Yeah. And it is interesting because yes, nuance is key in understanding the Bible. Nuance is key in understanding the Old Testament in particular, in understanding Jesus. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, first right. and foremost, so, right? So like, spoiler alert. Well, okay, I shouldn't say for <laughs> Jesus is the Lord and Savior of the world, first and foremost. <laughs> Secondary to that, he is a Jewish rabbi. Mm-hmm. Um, he existed in a time and space that he was a Jewish rabbi, so. Yeah, the, you know, the divine incarnate in a jewish rabbi yeah yeah yeah. um so like jesus knew leviticus right and you know to your point like nuance is key in understanding that and having a deep understanding and i would also maybe push back a bit and say that there's a difference between poor theology right Mm -hmm. where you don't do the work and you just kind of cherry pick what you want and and uh, build a christ-based faith without christ right you know and that can be that can mean whatever you want it to mean viewers right like but there is something to be said about jesus summarizing those commandments and saying like yeah like you know the i think it's the rich young ruler who says you know what what's the greatest commandment and it's like well like love god and 
well he first he says like um you know you know the law what's the law and then he's like oh you're ten commandments blah 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 and mm-hmm. he's like yeah well you know love god love your neighbor boom <laughs> yeah so, that'll do it um so like yes yes nuance is important and and right. so vital to understanding right. this ancient text um and why these stories have endured for as long as they have sure and <laughs> yeah so uh yeah. can i can i push back a little bit on what you said about the rich young ruler sure not not that what you said is, is wrong i just want to clarify the context of that story so mm-hmm. um he he approaches jesus and says what do what do i do or what must i do to inherit eternal life yeah. and jesus says okay well you know the law what, what does it say and then he says love god love your neighbor and jesus is like yeah you're right do that and you'll live and then it says but in order to justify himself he's just like but what else <laughs> right 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 <laughs> so um but i think one of the things that i i come back to about leviticus and and the 10 commandments in general um and it's funny that we're talking about this because uh, here at the, at the church I, I work at in, in Santa Barbara, uh, we just got done preaching through the Ten Commandments. And uh, one of the things that um, our lead pastor, Eric, uh, kind of had as a kind of a, a baseline throughout all of his sermons was that the Ten Commandments command something, but they also commend something else. So like, for instance, like the, the you shall not murder uh, commands not murdering, but it commends uh upholding and pursuing life for all people. So um, there's there's this command and commend uh, push and pull that you have. And then Jesus comes along and he raises the bar <laughs> on all of that. Because like, for instance, he says uh, in the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 5, I believe it is, uh, where he's just like, you've heard it said, you shall not kill. But I say to you, like whoever's angry with their brother uh, or sister is uh, guilty of murder in their heart. <laughs> it's just like, mm-hmm. wait, what now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but um but again i think that getting into that being the reality that the jewish people were in during the time of jesus i think what what happens and and you can see it all throughout the the old testament is the law is established but whenever there's a set of rules and or commandments that are set down we as humans have this urgency and this need to kind of find the loopholes and and the <laughs> just like okay well where's the line like how far can i go like if i don't physically murder my my neighbor is that okay but can i like hit right, him? if i just like maim him a little bit yeah if i just you know hit him on the head and he doesn't wake up for a few days like is that okay like you know right yeah so um okay so we've we've gotten into a, a little bit of the 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 context of of what leviticus talks about but um i wanted to go over just the overview and then uh, kind of launch into the questions and the questions are kind of open-ended um i mean as they always are as they need to be um, as they need to be yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um okay so again my the the notes that i've come up with are based on uh several different sources that i have in my own library and then also some internet research and stuff like that i, I do a lot of research uh what can i say i i haven't broken that habit from being in grad school and seminary yet um, <laughs> so um a lot of uh theologians can uh, agree that Moses is uh, seen as the author of Leviticus. We've talked a little bit about how that could be a little bit problematic, like it could be. Um, but what we know is, is that most scholarship kind of agrees that Moses is this is the author of the Pentateuch. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can push back on that if you want. Or, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, nothing, nothing new really than what I've said in, I think it was the Genesis episode when we first talked about it. Yeah. Just like, like, yeah, Moses, sure. Okay. 
but you really take the deep dive. And this is especially important with Leviticus, or if not especially important, especially able to be seen and demonstrated. Yeah. Um, the authorship of Leviticus, the difference in it, in the way it's written, is striking, strikingly different to mm-hmm. um, to that of some of the previous books being mm. you know genesis and exodus mm. um and again what what scholars have have looked at and discovered from you know looking at very detailed um writings and ancient texts of these books um is that again these books are probably composite books with multiple authors right um you know genesis it's um four authors for maybe four groupings of authors that the the that a theory proposes right um based off of you know using certain names for god in some contexts certain names for others in some contexts right and this is probably better to be brought up in deuteronomy but some (laughs) some jargony lingo is the is the deuteronomistic or Deuteronomistic, I've been out of seminary for a while. The Deuteronomist, Deuteronomistic history. Deuteronomic. That's another way, um, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, yeah. and it's, um, it's kind of like what you mentioned too with uh, the stories in Genesis as well, kind of revolving around the patriarchs and how you, the different yeah. uh, tribal groupings of Israel had different patriarchs as their kind of point of reference in history so genesis is kind of ordering all of them to show that you know all of israel belongs to this one story but that again could be part of the reason why we can can kind of point to well moses could have written it or it could have been a compilation of all these authors putting them together for the sake of telling one unified story yeah yeah and and again coming back to the specifics of language in these books Leviticus is highly technical, mm-hmm. highly um, specific in a way that other parts of the Bible are not, right? Like, I think it's pretty easy to read the book of Psalms and be like, okay, this is different than like the epics of you know, David or Saul, right? Yeah. This is yeah. different than than history or different than genealogy. That makes sense. Yeah. But Leviticus is different in a way that I think it's hard to put our, our fingers on. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it comes back to that. This is a book written. And I, and even before I get there, Leviticus is a book of instruction for priests on how to commit and uh, fulfill their priestly duties. Right. So it's, it's we, more or less for the, I mean, the, the name, the origin of the name, we can uh, track to the tribe of Levi as the mm-hmm. priests responsible for performing all these things for Israel. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we've talked in previous episodes about how it, it wasn't until um, the, the ex the exilic times that the Israelites even put together their, their history and their stories yeah. in writing. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so Leviticus, what you see um, along with being a priestly um, text, 
before we get to the, the, the written part, we have this oral, um, this oral history, this oral instruction that is highly repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause our, our brains are able to memorize rhythm and sound better than just random instructions. Yeah, totally. totally. Um, rhythm and cadence and rhyme. And yeah, I mean, that's the, uh, just a brief side note, but that's why uh, Psalm uh, 119, the longest chapter of the Bible is broken up by uh, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So the, the thought was, is that when, when young Hebrew children are learning the Psalms, they can associate a section of 119 with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's, it's these memorization techniques. Yeah. So you have these priests memorizing the book of Leviticus, or, or I should say memorizing what will become the book of Leviticus. Right. Right. Um, and, and just that in of, in and of itself can kind of tip us off to the type of authorship that comes later on. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause again, Moses wasn't, wasn't around during the exile, writing these stories down. Right. Right. Um, and even if, even if, Penn went to papyrus uh, early earlier mm-hmm. um, to get these um, get these instructions written down in what would have been a language that is not recognized as Hebrew, right? Because that's how that's how written language comes to be, right? Um, it would you know it it would be written by someone highly. Um, involved and understanding the technical nature of what being a priest is like for Israel in this particular time period. Right. Because these practices change throughout the history of Israel. Right. Absolutely. Because the the way that you go about uh, presenting sacrifices in the tabernacle differ from when you have the the temple that Solomon builds in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So, and then also after, after the temple in Jerusalem falls in 70 AD, like therefore abolishing the the sacrificial system like how does the priest function at that point you know yeah 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 Yeah. um so i should say it's not night and day differences right how they're how they're changing is indeed change but yeah um you know the intention at least um story at least narrative wise for the tabernacle is that it's just a moving form of the temple right Um, right but that's you know that's really neither here nor there for sure sure right now that's a that's actually a, a good segue because like we we talk about dates and and I think what what I'm skeptical of when I say oh this is the date that is written is because it's the date that we kind of think it was compilated around or compiled around but like there's no pinpointing like you know August seventh fourteen fifty five. Yeah. like you know there's just that's impossible to do so when i say uh the date written i always say approximately simply because we we can't nail down a, a hard date on it so um right. that being because said the other thing too yeah if, yeah if i can jump in with that yeah. in particular is that our dating for these texts and you know whether they're biblical texts or extra biblical texts or just like any ancient text yeah usually our our um our timing for them comes down to all right we're going to take a tiny piece of the 
the paper or a tiny piece of the rock that these are etched on, uh, grind it down and see how old it is. Right, right. And that could be very different between finding a text that is dated um, approximately at like, I don't know, I'm going to just make some numbers up, right? Like 800 um, BCE, right? Mm -hmm. If you find a text that dates to that year or that amount of time, Mm -hmm. and then you find a similar text that is, you know, 400 BCE, when was it written? Was it written at the first one? Was it written later on? Right. And right. Look, then, then looking at the stories and the writings itself to see mm-hmm. what has changed. And then that's how you can track what's developed. But these timing is not like, you know, Moses signing his name with like, oh, it's like the, you know, this year, this day. Right. This right. Is- okay. So the, the approximate date that has been assigned to the, the writing of Leviticus is 1445 BC. Uh, 1445 and uh, if I'm not mistaken I think when we were talking about Exodus Exodus was dated about 1450 so again the the idea being is is that this is during the the wilderness wanderings and Moses is writing down all these things at least that's the the, the perception right um right, right right now what's interesting is what I like to do for these these books and we saw it with Genesis and also uh, Exodus is give like a date covered. Uh, just to kind of see, you know, well, when is this happening in history? How long does it apply for, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and when I was doing this one, I came across um, one article that was fascinating. And it, it put the date as the date covered of, of Leviticus being from 1445 BC to 70 AD. So like basically <laughs> spanning the entire history of the Jewish people up until the the destruction of the temple in right by the romans in 70 ad and i was at first i was just like oh i don't know about that that's like like really generous but then i thought about i was like well if you think about it like jesus himself talks about levitical law he he quotes levitical (laughs) law he he fulfills levitical law so it's not that much of a stretch to 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 think that levitical law extended up until the moment that they couldn't perform the functions of the temple anymore right I, yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting timing, like that, because I hear that timing of whatever uh, you see to you know, 70, is that what? Uh, 1445 BC to 70 AD, yeah. Yeah, so I hear that timing and, you know, this just gets into the weeds a little bit. Sure. Um, but if the question is, when was the book of Leviticus um, functionally relevant to? Yeah, sure. Yeah. That works. Yeah. Um, why not? <laughs> um, well, I think it's worth mentioning too that, that that same article said that it's off and on for that period of time. Like sure, there's sure. there's large swaths of times, like generations where the priests are just like, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I mean, you you look at the prophets. Uh, I was just uh, reading Hosea uh, today, and mm-hmm. God does not have very nice things to say about the priests <laughs> during yeah. <the> Hosea. <laughs> I mean, Leviticus is interesting because almost immediately the priests show uh, that they struggle to do their job. Right, right. Like 
the whole, I think it's five offerings to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, the whole first five offerings are instructed and, and given great detail. And then it's broken up with uh, a narrative portion. Right. Where Aaron's sons, Aaron, Moses's brother, mm -hmm. um, the high priest mm -hmm. of Israel, his sons immediately are like, okay, we're going to do whatever we want and then get struck down or yeah. get seriously hurt by God, right? Yeah. So and it doesn't take long at all. That's a pretty common story too. Cause like, I mean, at the very beginning of first Samuel, we have Samuel coming to the temple to learn under Eli, the priest and Eli's two sons are just completely corrupt. And <laughs> like yeah, yeah. there's, I mean, one of the Levitical things is that uh, priests were supposed to offer the, the, the meat sacrifice and like put it in this kettle and let it like basically boil. And they have this like ceremonial fork that, after it's done boiling for a period, you know, that you jab it in and whatever you pull out is the priest's portion, right? Right. Um, right. So uh, Eli's sons are described as like, they throw the meat in like immediately like, ha ha, my portion. <laughs> right. So, like, right. which might seem stupid, but like that was actually like a huge deal because it violated yeah. the Levitical priestly duty, right? Yeah. Which again, like, and this is just going to be a common theme as long as we're studying the Bible. Um, and like, and I'm bringing it up. <laughs> that is, yeah. um, is like, is that because it is a common trope in the Bible? Maybe. Is it in there multiple times that theme because like it says something inherent to humanity? Maybe. Is it because stories have multiple uh, tellings but with different names of characters? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> You, you seem to have a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I feel like that perfectly summarizes seminary for, for at least me. It was just like, yeah, I have all these questions and I got some of them answered, but I graduated. With oh them yeah. So, so like I said, uh, 1445 BC yeah. to around 70 AD off and on uh, for then. Um, what's interesting though, is again, looking at the different outlines and resources that I had, uh, one of them in particular kind of lists the 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 quote unquote famous stories uh, of each book, like David and Goliath, Saul mm -hmm. becoming king, you know th those sorts of things. Um, but what was fascinating to me is that when it got to Leviticus, it literally said no famous stories. <laughs> so okay, um, which I thought was very interesting because I think it kind of perpetuates this idea that like oh Leviticus is like outdated, we like can just discard right. it and stuff like that. Right. Um, but it it also to to go back to what you said, it's not necessarily a narrative focused book. That's not the intention. That's not the purpose. That's not the point. You know. Right. Um, so the idea of Leviticus being this book that like we're gonna tell our kids, we're gonna sing our uh, or read our kids bedtime stories out of Leviticus, like probably won't happen. <laughs> right. Right. It's an um, instruction manual. Yeah, it's an instruction manual. It's like, it would be similar to, you know, uh, getting a brand new TV or a brand new camera and like reading the instruction book to your kid um, for for stories, you know, it was like, mm -hmm. it's not, you wouldn't do that because yeah. not, that's not the point. Yeah. Um, but I can say that, that Leviticus is broken up into two major story arcs. And like we've been doing with every book that we've covered, we're kind of talking about this, this meta narrative approach. So like this 30,000 foot view of the books of the Bible and Leviticus in particular can be broken down into kind of two main sections. 
uh, chapters one through 10 talk about approaching the holiness of God. So uh, purifying yourself, being ready to enter into the Holy of Holies, all that stuff. Um, and then the second half of Leviticus chapters 11 through 27 um, is about what you can do to become holy like God is holy. So the first section, approaching holiness, chapters 1 through 10, and then becoming holy yourself like God is holy, chapters 11 through 27. So the, the question I have, Jeremy, yeah. for, for this yeah. first section, because the, the approaching holiness is all about the offerings of like what they consist of, how to present them, what mm -hmm. they cover, all those things. Um, and my first question is, why, why so many different forms of offering? Why not just one like, hey, here's a dove. We, we good? <laughs> Here's a dub. We good. That should be a shirt. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you already dropped the lingo meta narrative. Yeah. But have yet to break out of the walls of Leviticus itself in that meta narrative. Yeah, that's true. Um, a really short, short way of describing this long answer is that you look to Exodus, mm. where the people of Israel are property. Mm -hmm. They're being used as a resource mm -hmm. by Egypt. They're freed from slavery, brought into the wilderness. And this is their first taste of freedom. Hmm. Hmm. And freedom is an interesting thing because without guidelines, without, um, you know, you could call it discipline. You could call it, um, and discipline in the sense of like, this is a discipline of mine, like to wake up at X time each morning, not discipline as in, you know, yeah. dropping the hammer. Right, right. Um, but without, yeah, without discipline, without rhythm, without guidelines, freedom can be a fickle thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um. You know, we see in antebellum, in the antebellum South, um, you know, we have stories of slaves freed mm -hmm. um, who just re return to what they know because that is life for them. And that's what they have been doing their whole life, right? Um, I mean, you also have, you know, Jim Crow laws that don't make it truly a free... But but that's yeah yeah no exactly that too, um, but that similar thinking or that similar component is is evident even in like the freedoms that we find in in our day to day right yeah um, like yeah. I think of of. <laughs> And this is a mighty jump. So like, this is an incredibly big conversation to jump from like antebellum South to ancient Israel to, you know, a day off from work, right? Like <laughs> these are all vastly different things. Right, but right. On, on a day off, if I haven't decided, you know, how I'm going to spend that day, I can just lose it. 
to mm-hmm. the fact of I don't know what to do today. I don't have mm-hmm. um you know a mindset of how to conduct myself. Yeah. In yeah. this open-ended time. Yeah. Right? Yeah, um, and that's th- so that's a perfect uh example because for me what I began to realize about my, my week to week rhythm is, is that on Monday mornings, I sit down and, and write out my to do list for, for the week, just to make sure I have everything and not miss all that. It's, just, it's a way for me to keep organized, right? Yeah. Um, but what I was finding was, is that for my Sabbath on Fridays, I was actually like writing down things to do on my Sabbath, just to make sure that I got them done. And I think that goes to your point exactly where I couldn't even fathom an existence where I didn't have to produce or achieve or do something because that's what I do every other day of the week. Right. So if I wasn't careful, I could just fall back into that, that pattern of, well, I mean, I've done this all week. I might as well extend it to my day off. You look to multiple times after Israel has been, has left Egypt in the, in the old Testament where they want to return to Egypt. They want to return to their, their, their chains they want to return to their their uh their vices right yeah Yeah. um because that's what they know that's how they know life to be Mm -hmm. um you know there's a huge element to um you know exodus and leviticus really exodus and the entire rest of the bible um there's a huge aspect of you can take the slaves out of egypt but getting Egypt out of the slaves is a yeah. whole different story. Yeah. And so you look at, yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to mention, I, I think that that's the same paradox we find with, with sin where, you know, like you can take, you can take the human out of their sinful past, but it's hard to fully get the sin out of the human, you know? <laughs> so yeah, sorry. Go, go ahead. What were you saying? I just, so Leviticus is an introduction of how to be human mm. to Israel mm. and specifically by God's standards. Mm-hmm. Um, the Israelites have functioned again as property. They functioned as slave, they, slaves. They, they've functioned as um, not fully human. Right. Right. And Leviticus is <laughs> is is god's proclaiming god's you know yelling at these stiff-necked people mm-hmm. here's how you have right relationship with one another here's how right. you have right relationship with me here's how you have right relationship with the earth yeah um, yeah totally and it's hard to see because we in the current time that we live in get caught up on the the blood and the guts and the 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 technicality of it all right Um, we also use jesus as that prop of well jesus just figured it all out for us so we don't need to like examine that right 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 um it's a quote dark past of um judeo-christian theology Mm -hmm. to some people yeah but what it is really Leviticus is that it's a (laughs) 
what seems primitive to us is groundbreaking faith and theology and again ways of interacting with god ways of interacting with each other and ways of interacting with this earth yeah yeah that doesn't seem so as primitive when you look at um when you can take a side by side of i think of the earth component Mm -hmm. in particular Mm -hmm. um you know let's talk about the can like the fires in california for instance so jeff and i hail from california um specifically the bay area but you look at these these wildfires and scientists are getting to a place now of you know coming around to controlled burning which had been the practice that indigenous people had observed and participated in all along yeah until us as um you know civilized and yeah enlightened (laughs) Uh, white people (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, show up on the scene and say well that's not how i do it so you must be wrong right right you look at some of the writing in leviticus talking about the earth's ability to produce resources yeah and how if you care properly for the earth the earth will provide abundantly which it's also been shown that like the reason hunger in the world is not because we can't produce enough food right yeah, it's because those in power choose to hoard resources. Yeah, yeah, and uh, create the unnecessary need that drives uh, yeah. disasters. Yeah, um, there's a you know there's some stats, and this is probably an outdated stat at this point, but I heard it the other day that you know it cost X amount, like twenty billion dollars or something, mm-hmm. to, to solve world hunger. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that is the amount, again, an outdated. Uh, stat, uh, statistic, but uh, that amount is the same that Americans, that uh, North Americans, United States people, um, spend on ice cream in one year. My gosh! <laughs> oh, if we can go a year without ice cream, we can solve uh, world hunger, maybe. Uh, um, but that's I bring so that to me again. I bring that all up because Leviticus talks about, you know reaping your harvest and letting the soil recharge letting the soil recuperate yeah uh, letting letting the field lay fallow yeah yeah or rotating Um, crops or yeah yeah which again scientists now they're like oh like if we change our crops like like i think that was a huge um you know revolutionary america you might be able to speak into this like they exhausted the land. And part of the reason the United States, quote, needed needed to uh, to expand west is like, we need more land for our crops. We're, we're like, our, our tobacco fields, our, our um, you know, our whatever crop, you know, is the flavor of the month. It's exhausting the land. So we need more. We need um, more land. Yeah, we need more land. But if you were to just let the ground lay fallow and and embrace some of this ancient wisdom, then you might not need 
to act like the world is um, a finite resource, which in those words sounds reckless, right? But like all of a sudden under that side-by-side lens and, and nuance lens, albeit, all of a sudden this this quote primitive book of Leviticus mm-hmm. has a very relevant um, content just underneath the surface. Yeah, and no. that's just talking about harvesting and farming. And yeah. I'm not a farmer, so go ask a farmer. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you're a farmer watching, let us know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, you. That's such an excellent point, Jeremy. And and I I, as you were talking, it brought back a lot of memories for me of one of the most profound classes that I took uh, in undergrad at, at Berkeley was uh, history of the American West. But what it was, is it was an environmental history of the American West. So talking about westward expansion and the um, how like the Homestead Act and the gold rush and all these things impacted the environment um, and, and all that sort of stuff. But one of the, the main uh, areas we focused on was the Dust Bowl of the 1920, late 1920s, early 1930s. And one of the big reasons the Dust Bowl was a thing is because during the 1900s, 1910s, and 1920s, Midwestern farmers were just like, oh, I forget what it was. It might have been corn or, or wheat or whatever the, the crop, the flavor of the week was. Um, it was That's straight up. Crop. Huh? One week, one week. That's a fast crop. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> um, but whatever, <laughs> whatever was the the best selling crop also depleted the the soil of all of its nutrients. But the need for money was far greater than the effect it had on the environment. And what ended up happening is is that the topsoil was zapped of its nutrients, so it became this loose dirt that when you had these giant windstorms, it would just whip up all these things. And then you had the Dust Bowl, which wreaked havoc all across the American West. Um, and I mean, again, to your point of like, all of a sudden, when you look back at Leviticus, a book that was written approximately, you know, 1445 BC, all of a sudden has major implications for us to wisely steward our relationship or our relationship to the world and to each other uh, in 21st century America. Yeah, yeah. 20th and 21st century, I should say. The the Bible, I'll say this, the authors of the Bible have a very different theology and relationship to um, the earth than I think a lot of um, Christian denominations do today. Yeah. Um, I yep. think often you come across uh, Christian theologies that have a component of the earth doesn't matter. We're like out of here anyway, right? Right. right. I mean, it, they they where where that's based off of is um, the passage in oh gosh, I'll, I'll include it down here. I think it's Revelation because I know it's it's often associated with Revelation, but I'm not as I'm saying it out loud, I'm not quite sure if it is, but anyway, I'll, I'll cite it below, but it's basically talking about how uh, the old earth and the old heaven will pass away and then there will be a new earth. So a lot of evangelical Christians, especially in America are just like, well, there's that. We don't have to, we don't have to worry. Like I can just, you know, throw my, my styrofoam out in the ocean, you know? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to name drop evangelicals, but. Oh dude. You name did drop. It, so. Go ahead. I, I, I am an evangelical pastor. 
for better and for worse. Uh, so, yeah. um, but no, I, I think that you're, you're absolutely right where the idea of Christians kind of taking what Jesus said and, and like, Oh, well, Jesus fulfilled the law. So we don't have to take care of anything that the law yeah. requires us to anymore. Like that's yeah, not quite true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and this whole sidebar came from like one part of Leviticus being about like land and right relationship with the earth. Right. Yeah. So how much more so is that going to be true of the text overall? Right. 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 And I think that that goes, that's actually a great, like bringing us back in because we often will go on these long tangents. So like bringing it back to the question of like, why are there so many different offerings? Mm -hmm. Um, the the grain offering and and the peace offering in particular i believe are two that uh are required of israelite farmers to present the first fruits of their harvest so again it goes back to that relationship of the land of like if you take in you know if god blesses you abundantly with with a large harvest you're supposed to take the first fruits of that the best of that crop and present it to god as an offering um, as a way to thank God for the continued faithfulness of producing, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you, you look like you have something to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm smiling because, um, I mean, it's a weird reason to smile, but, you know, building off this idea that the side-by-side today mm-hmm. has major implications. Yeah. People look at Leviticus and they see, you know, animal sacrifice, okay? Yeah, yeah. And that puts them off, and rightfully so, because animal sacrifice, you know, is what it is. Yeah. That said, you know, the meat industry in America probably worse. Oh. Than the 100%. Israelite sacrificial system, right? 100%, like, yeah. You know, each um, each offering that involves animal sacrifice has terminology to the point of, you know, it's an, it's a an ox. Uh, a goat, a dove, with no blemish. No, you know the first, the, the first born male. Have. Yeah, which implies inherently to it um, implies that you know these animals. You know that that goat or that dove or that oxen is the one. It is is your best one. Yeah, and that's part of the that's part of the give and take of the sacrificial system is that it is indeed a sacrificial system, right? Right, right. right. Why would you sacrifice the best of your best? That's like I was going to say the Oakland A's because um, we're both huge A's fans, um, but this might not mean much to like you know a Dodger fan or a Yankees fan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like taking the best person in your lineup and saying, "Yeah, go go elsewhere." Like you're the best we have and we're going to sacrifice you for the better. Not, yeah. And not like, huh, but like, like we're going to, we're going to trade you. We're going to bench you or trade you double a. <laughs> yeah. So maybe the A's are better sacrificial. This oh yeah. We think that I mean, said though, both of both you and I have adopted the Dodgers as our national league team. Cause you went to yeah, yeah. CLA and I, I go Dodgers. I now live in, in Santa Barbara. So like yeah. we've, we've adopted the Dodgers as our national league team, but I can say this in all good faith, knowing that the Dodgers organization doesn't really know what sacrifice means. <laughs> I do want to be clear here. Any corporation probably doesn't know what yes. sacrifice means. So the A's are not, you know, they're not the gold standard here. 
right. neither are the Dodgers. Neither are any corporation or right. like usually money earning system. Oh, of course. Um, but the point but, is, yeah, it's still there. Yeah, it, you know the sacrificial system. Like the Dodgers aren't going to bench Mookie, Mookie yeah. Betts for the World Series, um, yeah. in hopes that they're blessed <laughs> with right. the title. Right. Um, but the, circling all the way back, the implication is that you know your animals, you know that is going to cost you mm-hmm. to show how grateful you are. Right. Um, which is a complete turning on its side, especially with that side-by-side today of like, we do not know where our meat comes from. And usually, usually I want to, I want to throw in that, like for anyone watching who's like, Oh, I'm like, you know, I know where my meat comes from. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's we, that's we the exception. You. That's not the norm or that's the exception. That's not the rule. Yeah. yeah. So major implications for like, okay, you're, you're having trouble with this sacrificial system outlined in Leviticus, but you're also eating the burger like once a week. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's what one of the functions of Leviticus does if we, read it correctly is it has kind of not like guilt tripping but kind of a a reality check of some of the practices that we see because again i i think i may have explained this when we were talking about genesis but uh as a historian one of the the main ways of thinking about history at least a lot of what a lot of people subscribe to is is that we're kind of on this linear path of like we're always progressing we're always getting better we're always achieving more and learning more and that sort of thing so there, there's an inherent arrogance that comes with that of like, oh, well, those primitive Israelites back in Leviticus, like, look how, look how inhumane they were to, to their animals and blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, we're eating, you know, a burger from a cow that was force fed, you know, like it's, it's, so I, I think that when we look at history, we can't be arrogant because when we judge history based on our own point of view of it, then that's what's called uh, anachronistic thinking. And an anachronism, anachronistic thinking is a logical flaw in our thinking. Because if we project back of like, oh, well, look how primitive they were. I mean, it circles back to what we were saying of like, well, Leviticus actually has some good things to say about like how to take care of the land. So it make so you know how to produce long term and you don't exhaust it, you know? So I think that we, we have to be very careful when we um, go to our historical past and like judge it because i don't think that that's necessarily like the right thing to do i also want to add this on part of the reason leviticus or it's a twofold thing right now um parts of the reason leviticus is so adamant about animal sacrifice two two components keep again component one most other societies were sacrificing children. Okay. <laughs> like, like yeah. let's not skip that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Most other ancient or Eastern cultures honored their gods by sacrificing their firstborn children. Mm-hmm. This is why when God says to Abraham, go sacrifice Isaac, Abraham isn't like, oh, why? Yeah. It's understood that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, that's yeah. what you do. Yeah, all right. That's what you do. God you know, has blessed me. Okay, I'm going to sacrifice my child for the sake of being blessed more. Right. So already, already this first component, stepping away from sacrificing, um, you know, human children 
a step in the right direction, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> radical for the time that this is being um, written. Radical for the time that yeah. this is taking place. Um, yeah. yeah. And built into that as well, you know, there's the re repetitive nature of Leviticus and like, okay, if you have an ox, sacrifice an ox. If you don't have an ox, sacrifice a goat. If you don't have a goat, sacrifice a dove, you know, if right. you no know, dove, pigeon, you know, and, right. and I think pigeon is like the last one. Right. But that's in place. And here's the kicker. That's in place because there's a recognition that not everybody is, um, <laughs> Not, that not everybody has access to the same resources right the sacrificial system which again like so great at understanding a nuanced perspective of of life <laughs> you know because like if if leviticus was just cut and dry it'd be like everybody sacrifices an ox but like the point being and and i might be jumping ahead of what you were going to say but the point being is is that no matter what your level of income, no matter what your level of of societal prominence, there is still a requirement for you to sacrifice something to God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Outside looking in, the sacrificial system looks like a buy-in system. Okay, right. and sure. this is where history and theology can go wrong. Right where. I sacrificed an ox. I am like doing really well. God's going to bless me like so well. Right. Versus, oh, you only sacrificed a dove? Okay. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's not the point of this outline in Leviticus. Leviticus is saying, <laughs> God has blessed us all. Mm -hmm. And yet we all don't have the same access to resources as one another. So, bless mm -hmm. or 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 praise god and be thankful and approach the sacrificial system approach the table with what you have yes yes and what i was gonna say just kind of attacking on of that that goes not only for your possessions but also your own level of righteousness and unrighteousness um and the reason i say that is because one of the parables that jesus talks about is uh there's this uh, Pharisee who goes into the middle of the temple square where you're supposed to be, you know, praying to God and stuff like that. And he's like, thank you, Lord, for not making me like that guy over there. <laughs> and like, there's a tax collector's over in the corner, like head down, like beating his chest, like, Lord, forgive me. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. And, and stuff like that. So the, the Pharisee is making this public display of like, I am righteous. He's unrighteous. Thank you, Lord, for making me like me and not like that dude. Um, and then Jesus says to his disciples, truly, I tell you that tax collector went home justified before the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it has a similar parallel to, to Leviticus of like the, the sacrifice. It doesn't matter if you have a lot or you have a little, the, the, the point is, is that everything has been given to you by God. Mm -hmm. So whether it's great or little, everything has been given to you by God. And that everything is connected, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Because it's not just you're not it's not just a personal sacrifice. Leviticus goes into great detail of, and you know, like these are sacrifices for my personal sin. These are sacrifices for our corporate sin. These are sacrifices for the sins of Israel as a nation. Right, right, right. Like two people can can sin together, and like have a 
justified sacrifice for that setting. But there's a whole different set of sacrificial offerings for the nation. Yeah. For sins known and unknown. Yes. And that's, that's, I think therein lies the, the answer to our first question of like, why are there so many different offerings? And the point is like, there's a whole lot of different ways that you can thank God for, for what you have, uh, what you've done, what you've not done, um, being grateful, being sorry. I mean, let's, let's just run through these real quick. Um, uh, burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, guilt offering, sin offering, all of them address different areas of somebody's life. So the idea being that every aspect of your life, every interconnected point of your life, there is something to be thankful for and something to offer as an offering and as a sacrifice. Uh, whether it's you, you done wrong and you done, you, you done bad and you have to like present a sin offering or you are rejoicing and you had a bumper crop celebrating that and giving that before the Lord. Like that's boom or bust, thick or thin, good or bad, uh, bad or worse. Like there's all aspects of your life. There's something to be thankful for and something to offer uh, God. So I think that that kind of summarizes what, why there's so many different areas of, of offerings, because there's different areas of your life that, that need to be offered. Um, I think about it like this too, like, um, and, and you, you know, this as well, like working in a church, there are people who offer their, their offerings on a weekly basis to the general offering, which goes into the general fund and the elders of the board kind of discern, you know, what they want to do with it, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. However, there's also ways that people can specifically designate funds to like, hey, I want to give X amount of money, but I want it to go to uh, women's ministry or youth ministry or children's ministry. So they, they for instance, I, I remember uh, one in particular, uh, this was a number of years ago, but this, this one guy who had uh, grown up in the church, had moved away, raised his own family, I uh, ended up giving a, a donation of several thousand dollars to the church specifically earmarked for youth ministry because it was the youth group and the youth pastor that led him to Christ uh, for the first time. So he was saying that as a way to be grateful for that experience and to honor God with that, I want to make sure that the youth ministry has this money to, to function well. Um, so again, he could have just given it to the general offering, but he chose to specifically earmark it for youth ministry. And, and I think that it's, it's a little bit of a similar parallel of the different offerings in Leviticus as a way to express thankfulness to God in different areas of your life. Like for instance, the yeah. sin offering, I want to present my sin offering because I want to be, I want to make sure that God knows I'm thankful for the forgiveness of sins. Um, I want to offer the grain offering because I want God to know that I uh, appreciate the continued sustenance that the land provides. Um, so there's these different functions of these offerings that cover all aspects of somebody's life. So, so yeah, I think and again, that, especially as the Israelites are figuring out what it means to be human together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's, uh, that's a good um, moment to segue into our second section. So we talked about, uh, approaching holiness in chapters one through 10. Um, and again, the approaching holiness is like how to purify yourselves, how to offer the sacrifices in a way that God will accept them, all that stuff. Uh, section two of Leviticus, uh, becoming holy like God is holy in chapters 11 through 27. Um, so why so many festivals? I mean, 
I don't know if this is a trick question and it's like one of those few instances where the Bible actually has a genuine, like, here's why moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but remembering who you are as a people, remembering where you come from. Yep. Every single festival there has to do in one way or another to a very historic um, Israelite moment, you know, Passover being freed from um, Egypt. Mm-hmm. trumpets the breaking into jericho yeah um so now i've started down a path i can't can't finish walking down um <laughs> but each one is attached to a different um a, a different important narrative to the israelite story. right right and um as i was thinking about that question myself it objectively you can say like oh well that's kind of a lot of celebrations but then i was thinking a little bit deeper about again the story of israel where they're at in their history that sort of thing and then i realized like i think it's easy to break the sabbath i think it's easy to revert back to kind of just working seven days a week and just toiling and toiling and toiling so festivals I, th- I think, operate very much like holidays do in the United States, federal holidays, where the federal government has said, this is a day off of work. This is a, a we are going to recognize this as a break from work. Uh, for instance, uh, it's ever since, I believe, FDR, the president has always declared a day of Thanksgiving on the fourth Thursday of November. <laughs> but Jeff, we all know that's just a corporate sellout holiday to, to sell turkeys and cranberries. Sure. But you can still be thankful. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But I'm, I'm gonna jump in if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it. Key to celebrating holidays as well as um you know, even more importantly, Sabbath with the, the ritual. Mm-hmm. <sighs> We, I think, like those privileged enough to have a, you know, five day a week, nine to five, miss out on this, right? Sure. Very, very easily miss out on this. Is that Sabbath is an intentional leaning in to recognizing the fact that God will provide for you. Mm-hmm. Because here's the foundational question in response to a God who says, every seventh day, rest. Mm-hmm. Here is here's the, the the logical but what if question. If I have a day where I can continue to harvest grain and provide for not only myself but my family and my clan, my tribe, mm-hmm. and I have the opportunity to do that, but don't why the hell do I not, right? Yeah. yeah. Like if I have a choice between resting for a day because I'm told to or going out and getting food to survive, why would I not? This is the manna from, from heaven story. Mm-hmm. Israelites can't fathom not collecting more. Yeah. yeah. Because why would you not? Yeah. Why would you not have that security? Why would you not choose to 
you know, take care of yourself because, and here's the reason for Sabbath, is to remember that God is in control, that God is providing for you, that God is um, going to give you enough yeah. daily bread. Yeah, and that's um, that's a great point because uh, the children's pastor here in Santa Barbara uh, is a guy named Andrew. So shout out Pastor Andrew. Um, he he preached on uh, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, and he said that one of the main points of taking a Sabbath every seventh day is a way to remind yourself that God is enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the point being, like you can strive six days of the week, but on the seventh you pause and you remember that God is the source of your, your um, abundance. God is the source of your uh, sustenance and, and ability to live. Um, So absolutely. I I think that that's a perfect point. And I think going back to, to the idea of these festivals providing natural breaks for Israel, again, think about working in Israel, like part of the, the, the thing about slavery in Israel is they, they had no days off. You know how people who go to the gym, they're just like, no days off. Um, like, um, which as, as an interesting, people who go to the gym and slaves, (laughs) same. (laughs) Well, right. Right. The the point I'm trying to make though, is, is that, um, even, (laughs) even people who are hardcore gym rats who are no no days off, we go every day. There are psychologists and health uh, care professionals that have said your body needs to rest. So like if you're lifting weights, you have to rest at least two days a week in order for your body to, yeah. to like reap the benefits of your working out. Otherwise you're just destroying your, your, your muscles. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so anyway, the idea again of like festivals functioning as this, you don't have to, to work until you die. Like you don't have to work nonstop from year in year out there are these built-in breaks where you can stop and celebrate and feast so yeah yeah i i i like that about um about leviticus i like that about the the outlining of these festivals simply because it it reminds us that that god is a god of of rest and abundance and um a god of of blessing because these festivals are a blessing they are a a chance for israel to experience the lavishness and and abundance of god and later on you know they function as a political thing too because you know solomon invited me but that's here <laughs> in Leviticus, the very first time they're mentioned is is a way for god to to uh for, oh, the way for israel to experience the overflowing abundance of god um so so yeah um also let's just throw this in too yeah just an innately human component to it as well right like mm-hmm. all humans celebrate yeah yeah in one way shape form ritual or another we all celebrate mm-hmm. so it's something reassuring uh in leviticus of like oh like the israelites celebrate too yeah 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 so uh jeremy that brings us to last call mm-hmm. and uh last call for for our viewers is the how we wrap up um and we just have our final thoughts of of the the book um uh before we get into last call or our, our final thoughts i just wanted to share a little bit of uh, what's upcoming uh that we're pretty excited about um so next episode is going to be the book of numbers um another one of those old testament pentateuch books that people 
tend to skip over and just like, eh, well, whatever. <laughs> you love road trips and numbers is the book for you. Oh yeah. Um, we will, we will talk about numbers, uh, in great depth. Um, and then the episode after that is Deuteronomy. It'll be the last book of the Pentateuch. Um, so I'm super, super excited because the episode of Deuteronomy, we are actually going to be doing our first in-person, uh, episode. <laughs> so Jeremy and I will be in the same place. We'll, we'll be side to side, um, for the first time for this whole uh, experience. So we're excited for that. And then Jeremy, um, you chose the next uh, section of what we're going to talk, talk about. So why don't you uh, let the viewers know what we're going to go into after we're finished with the Pentateuch. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. From our conversations, I'm remembering two front runners. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it's judges. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it's judges. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna talk about the the judges, uh, similar to Leviticus, a book of like you know, slaughtering people and primitive, you know, pr primitive uh, stuff that Christians don't like to look at. We like you know the yeah. grace and love and and, and peace, hippie Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, but like that Jesus still involves judges. So we we like deep dive on that. We like the the Joshua who blows the trumpet and Jericho comes tumbling down. We don't like the blood soaked Joshua. Mm -hmm. We like David who's like, you know, a little kid throwing a stone. We don't like David cutting off, you know, uh, all the foreskins of the Philistines. And <laughs> we like we like calm, gentle Elijah, not the one or Elijah or Elisha. I always get those two mixed up. We like the calm version of them, not the one who's ordering, you know, the. 5,000 priests of Baal being slaughtered in the Valley of Himen. <laughs> oh, that one. I was going to, you know, I thought you were going a different route with that of like the, you know, the, you know, Elisha who, who, you know, provides a bunch of oil for a widow, not the Elisha who like summons two she bears to maul 42 <laughs> children to death. <laughs> yep. Or not all of them. I think some get away. Right, right. To tell the tale. Anyway. <laughs> That's why it's in the Bible. Those right, little kids right. ran home and like, Mom, Dad, there's a bald dude who attacked us with bears. And and being the parents they were, they're probably like, Well, did you do anything to provoke him? <laughs> but anyway, uh we only jeered at him a little bit. Right, right. Um, we are going to be going into the book of Judges. And instead of dedicating just one episode to the entire book. Uh, what we've chosen to do is we're going to break it, the book up into several different episodes and talk about the specific judges and the context of them and you know all that mm -hmm. sort, of, sort of stuff. So uh, that'll be our next section after uh, we get done with the Pentateuch. Um, so we're pretty excited about that. Um, all right. So bringing it back to the Pentateuch. Uh, last call, Jeremy. Book of Leviticus. Go. Highly underrated. Um, Leviticus has so, so much to give. Mm. Um, if we can just like scratch underneath the surface just a little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, I understand why a lot of um, Christians don't like Leviticus. I also understand why Leviticus is is uh, marked by um, you know the violence and the animal sacrifice and. And Jesus saying, like, I've come to fulfill the law, therefore, checkmate, like, don't yep. need to talk about it. But, um, you know, we do. Mm -hmm. Again, Jesus is quoting Leviticus when he says, love your neighbor. Yeah. Um, and 
especially to our modern day setting, we lose out on a whole, whole lot of what uh, we can learn from this ancient wisdom when we write it off Yes, as um, a book that we don't have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I would agree. I, I think my, my last call, my final thoughts would be similar to of like, if we as Christians, as if we as Christ followers take our discipleship of Christ seriously, then we have to be familiar with what Christ familiar familiarized himself with. And that is the Old Testament. That is the prophets and that is the Psalms and, and the Pentateuch and the law. Like it, Jesus was thoroughly versed in those things. So if we are to understand some of the depth and the nuance of what Jesus instructs us to do, we have to be people of that uh, as well. So um, I think you're exactly right. And I agree hundred percent of like Leviticus is an over uh, underrated book um, because I think we, we miss a lot of the depth of who Jesus is and what Jesus says when we write it off as kind of like, eh, well, it doesn't really apply to us anymore. Um, because it may be a highly technical book, but people produce instructional pamphlets for a reason because people need to know how things operate. That doesn't mean we all read it in depth. It just, it means that we as humans need an instruction manual to know how something works. Um, and I think that the book of Leviticus is an instruction manual of how the idea of sacrificial systems and, uh, offerings work and function and we need that so good stuff man look look at us we we talked for a long time about the book of leviticus i was just i was just like oh we probably won't talk that long <laughs> we can go through it quick <laughs> you can't yeah well um until next time thank you all for watching thank you all for listening however you choose to uh, participate if you have any questions comments or i don't know concerns i guess <laughs> you can uh, submit them in the, in the comment section down below if you're new here, this is what we're about. We're about talking about the Bible. We're talking, uh, you know, depth of theology and what it means for us today. We like beer. Uh, we like uh, drinking and talking, and um, that's that's what you're going to get here. So if you're into that, go ahead and subscribe. Um, and uh, we'll welcome to the to the Thursday's Theology family. Um, other than that, uh, we will see you next time on the on the grain offering. Um, and until then, I'm Jeff. I'm Jeremy. And this has been our grain offering.